0: About why why does the local church matter? And this morning specifically, why giving to the local church matters. And uh, the truth is, um, I absolutely believe this. When the books are opened on Northlands, one day when we stand before the Lord and He opens up the books on Northlands, there are some people who uh, to you may be hidden, but are gonna be in the front of the line. so, so we, we oftentimes think that the person who does this, the, the preacher or the, or the really gifted worship leader, are going to be in the front of the line in the church. But I think it's the faithful people behind the scenes who served and, and gave and prayed and, and did a number of other things that are going to come to the front of the line. So um, two such families, um, I, I can think of the Templetons who've been with us for uh, 23 years now, in, um just faithfully giving and serving and and being so dependable and I thought when when I because uh, the, the we said hey we're going to do this series and and um, so the the team said why don't we get some people up who've been doing it and just let them sh- share their heart and why they do what they do and I thought what a brilliant idea but the templetons were the first family I thought about that and then the the Murrays came to mind and I go man these are these are people that I'd love you to hear from and so at the end of the meeting we're just going to Carve out some time and just let them come up here and just share their hearts with you. So uh, that's why we're changing things up a little this morning. But I want to get into this message and you'll understand that, that I'm speaking fast because I need to get through everything the Bible says about giving in the next 25 minutes. And I can do it if you stick with me. All right. We're asking the question why does the local church matter and specifically why giving to the local church matters? Now, Right now, uh, there's, a, there's a bit of a move in the country where churches are under financial pressure. And I've had a lot of pastors calling me over the last few months saying, what are you doing? And can you give me any advice? And uh, it's just this question is out there. Many pastors are weary or scared of talking about money in the church. And many of their people are scared that they'll talk about money in the church because there's been some excesses and there've been some charlatans who, who really just primarily wanted to get money out of people and they think that, as the scripture says, they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. And can I just say that if I, if money was my motive, ministry wouldn't be the career path I would have gone through. <laughs> so. But there are some people who, who live like that and they think that they can, they can generate income out of the, the ministry and they can abuse the anointing on their life to, to personal gain. And I think that may work for a little while, but when we get up to the, to the place where God unrolls lives and He shows us what's going on, I don't think it's going to do well. So that's just my personal opinion. Now... Uh, the answer to excessive error is not to go in excess in the other side in the opposite extreme but to create a healthy practice in front of everybody So today I want to do a quick overview of this very important subject um, and it's against this backdrop that a lot of churches right now are struggling so uh, some of the factors that have influenced what's going on in the country is that, Over the last 30 years, there's been a general drop in the amount of of giving that people do to churches. 30 years ago, the average was about just over 3%. Of the people who attended churches gave about 3%. That means some people were tithing and some people were giving less, but the average was 3.02%. Recently, uh, and that's been steadily dropping for the last 30 years, it's just about just over 1%, which means that people are giving less to a local church for various reasons. Uh, uh, also, attendance has been diminishing in, in churches as a general rule. Um, now, there are obviously churches that are on fire for God are breaking all these trends. These, these don't, don't apply to those churches at all. Um, but attendance is dropping. Uh, I think COVID diminished average attendance across the U.S. by about 4 to 6%, depending on population. Uh, we're all feeling uh, the pinch of inflation and the cost of living which is tremendous. And uh, I think most people are struggling with a fractured lifestyle with too little margin and they're bouncing around. Uh, so it's hard to have community and therefore feel vested and built into. I think there's a general atmosphere of mistrust in, uh, in the environment uh, of our country. And, but here's the good news. Uh, It has always been our experience that people whose hearts are touched by God give themselves and their resources to see God's work continued. So their time and their talent and their treasure gets put into the pot because this is what we do. This is the kind of family we are. So their gifts, their finances, their sweat equity, their prayers, their hopes, their dreams are the building blocks that get laid uh, systematically to create something in which God lives by His Spirit. A a, a real church, a healthy church, is never built on the back of one or two giftings. It's always built on the backs of faithful people who step up and join the party. This obedience in service and giving, which definitely beats disobedience in service and giving, is not necessarily what the New Testament calls for, though. Because the New Testament invites us into an entirely different framework when talking about giving. Giving. In the New Testament, giving is a free will offering moved by cheerful delight at the opportunity. Amen. amen. <laughs> was, I'm going to read that again. because was Give you an opportunity to amen this. Here we go. Amen. The New Testament invites us into an entirely different framework from, hey, hey, this is what you need to do When it's talking about giving, it talks about a free will offering moved by the cheerful delight at the opportunity. So, I want to take a very quick overview of why I believe it's important to give locally to a local church in support of what God's doing. I did a brief study on all of these things, all things scriptural and biblical and financial, and I have put out a 35 page document of what I believe, and so um, I'm not going to be able to get to any of the detail. I can prove all that I'm going to say scripturally, but it's all in the document for anybody who's interested, and it's, go and help yourself. That's what we believe about giving. So let's jump right in. Giving and the patriarchs. In the uh, uh, ancient Near East, m- all over, it was typical, not just in Israel, but in all the other nations, some Mesopotamia, Syrophoenicia, uh, Greece, Carthage, uh, there's the uh, there's records of people understanding that in deference to our deity, because we want to bring honor, because in some time in some cases they were petrified, if we don't, he's gonna zap us. But there was this sense of which we can honor our deity, that any sort of victory, any sort of increase, any sort of blessing, a tithe was taken to. Uh, the, the deity. Many people think that this is the way it works and you can see this. And I've got in the Assyrian Dictionary of Oriental Studies, there's a whole bunch of things up here. I don't have time. They'll come up on the screen in just a little moment. Okay. Now, in Genesis 14, we pick this up because Abraham goes out, defeats seven kings, brings back the loot and ties to Melchizedek. And the scripture in the in the New Testament makes a point of this, and, and so it's a it's a big deal, and so people goes, hey, Abraham tithed, <clears throat> yes he did, yeah, and this was the the time that Abraham tithed. Abraham tithed. Uh, There's no record that Abraham tithed at any other stage of his life on the regular basis, on a monthly basis. But Abraham did tithe here because he'd seen a tremendous success. And Abraham, in wanting to honor the Lord, gave a tithe. This was not atypical to the world that Abraham lived in. It was common for religious people to want to give a tithe. In the same way, in Genesis 28, uh, Jacob... Uh, has this encounter with God on the stone and he sees angels and he calls the place Bethel the house of God and he and God promises to bless him and he says lord um, uh, this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me I will give a tenth so he he himself uh, joins with this idea this general concept uh, it was a way to pay homage to, to to give honor and to be a grateful acknowledgment of God's help and so this was acknowledged uh, in his position to give this portion. Now, pagans follow the same basic principles, and it's the core of religious thought uh, is this idea that there is God's portion, a key portion should be set aside for God. Now, God then comes to his people who are basically following this general idea, but this is not the stuff of particular revelation. It's what Paul calls the basic spiritual understanding of this world. But God brings His people out of Egypt, and He separates themselves for Himself. He's trying to create a specific holy nation, and to them He gives the law, and in the law God begins to speak. So let me give you an overview of what God said to tithes in Israel, because there's much been made about this. Uh, I want you to understand that the tithes to Israel were tied to produce that was grown only on the land of Israel. In other words, God never asked any Gentile nation to bring a tithe because the tithe had to be grown on land that God had assigned to a tribe in Israel. So we have um, three different tithes that God then set up. The first was called the Levitical or the sacred tithe, which was 10% of the produce Of the land that was brought to Levitical cities. Now that's the land of Israel, but then you'll see 48 cities in the blue dots that come up now. And God said, I want you to take the tithe, this tithe, and I want you to take it to the closest Levitical city to you. And that's a tithe of your produce. That is to support the Levites because the Levites weren't given any land. They were just given specific cities and they said, You live there and Israel will bring you a tithe of their food. And so that's what happened. Israel would bring a tithe of the the produce that they had to those Levitical cities. And um, every so often, one of those Levitical cities had the responsibility to man the temple in Jerusalem and they would take a tithe of the tithe that had been brought to them to the temple. So many of you heard the scripture in Malachi that says, you robbing me, says God, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. He's not talking to the people, he's talking to the priests who are not being faithful with the tithe of the tithe. And then there were six cities that, that showed up here. Uh, these were cities of refuge. There were specific Levitical cities where if you inadvertently killed somebody wasn't, and you could run to the city and live there until uh, the high priest died. The second tithe in Israel was called the festival tithe. This was a tithe, 10% of your money, uh, that you had to bring to the Lord. Uh, for the seven feasts, you, you used that tithe to generate income to get to Jerusalem, and you used it to eat food while you were on the way to Jerusalem, and you used it to partake in the feasts that happened in Jerusalem. The seven feasts are up there, uh, you'll see it's coming up now. But everybody had to come down to Jerusalem, right, from all over Israel, and, and there were three feast seasons, Passover unleavened bread and first fruits. was the first season, 50 days later was Pentecost. Then later on in the year, so that was the spring and then the fall feasts of trumpets, day of atonement and tabernacles. You had to come up at three feast seasons. You had to spend the time. You had to celebrate the feast. You had to buy. Now that tithe, what you ate of that tithe. And when you went to Jerusalem, you gave it to friends who were celebrating with you. It was a celebration God commanded. And the Levites and your friends and you all ate the tithe together. Okay. The third tithe was called a poor tithe in Israel. And the poor tithe in Israel, he, God said, you take the, the uh, this was every three years. He said, every three years, you take the poor tithe and you drop it off in wherever you live, in the city center. And anybody who has need can come and help themselves, right? Now, it's a little more complicated than I've made it because every seven year there was a year of jubilee and nobody had to plant crops. And so there was no tithe every seventh year. Okay. Okay. So it gets a little complicated when in the New Testament church we, we look back to the Old Covenant and we say we should tithe, like they tithe. Well, it's very complicated, okay? Not saying that uh, a 10% is not a good thing to aim for. I'm just saying that it's it's not as easy as, as quoting some of the Old Testament scriptures and rebuking Christians. God's going to judge you if you don't tithe, okay? Now... God's plan for Israel's giving was specific and included various other offerings other than the tithes we've just discussed uh, for when he built a temple or when there were specific events or what he called free will offerings, you could bring at any time just because your heart wanted to be with God. And so, so often uh, people come to me and say, what must I give? Which is such a hard question to answer because I want you to imagine your teenager coming to you and say, dad, How much should I spend on your birthday gift? It's kind of a hard, it's kind of a hard question to answer as a dad. And the fact that you're asking the question kind of sours it a little. You kind of want to say it doesn't matter, son. Because it's really not about the gift, it's about what the gift represents. It's about the heart behind the gift. It's about what it cost you. It's, it's a blessing in a sense that it was costly. Not because I feel like I need a costly gift, but because, wow, wow, thank you. And so very often when it comes to the New Testament, we've got people going, how much do I have to give? Like, do I have to give 10%? I go, yay. The, the real issue is your heart. What's in your heart to give? Right. So God sent the law to his people because the the basic principle of the New Testament is first comes the natural, then comes the spiritual. First God sent Adam and then there was Jesus. First there was the law, then there was grace. There there is a natural way because the natural teaches you the basic premises. And then then there's a spiritual way in which we're led by the Holy Spirit into our giving and into the management of the resources God has put in our lives. This is so very exciting because the Holy Spirit wants to take you on an adventure. And people want to go back to the law. What what, what is the law? Well, the law was 23%. Okay. (laughs) What else you got? (laughs) Jesus came and died and established His church no longer just for the house of Israel, but now a house of prayer for all nations. And so suddenly Gentiles are joining the church and they're more Gentiles than Jews. And they have no history of paying to the Levites their tithe or going to the festivals in Jerusalem. They have no festival tithe and there's no first fruits concept in their life. They're just people who got saved. And the council of Jerusalem said you don't have to become proselytized. You don't have to become a Jew and then believe. You, if you are a Gentile and you believe, that's enough. So suddenly the early church had this very interesting thing because if it was Jewish and if we could rely on the tithes and you could be preaching to the church, hey, you need to give the festival tithe and you need to give the Levitical tithe and you need to give the poor tithe. That doesn't mean that it's not God's intention that you should honor those who serve full time. And it's not God's intention that you should spend some money developing the faith of your own family. And it's not God's intention that you shouldn't be given to the poor. That is absolutely His intention. So there's a very different set of disciplines around this idea of finances. And the need to be generous and to be God-honoring. So I want to come into an overview of believers or what the scripture says in the New Testament. Are you still with me? Number one, let me just say as a general principle, giving in the New Testament is not an obligation to obey, but an opportunity to take advantage of. In 2 Corinthians 8, which is probably in 2 Corinthians 9, the big chapters where Paul is dealing with how believers should deal with their finances, he says, I'm not commanding you Here is my advice of what is best for you in the matter. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves cheerful givers. Isn't that good news? Paul isn't commanding, but advising and explaining, and yet he has a lot to say to everybody who wants to listen. The, The disinterested teenager hears, Oh, good, I don't have to tithe, right? That's a score, a score. But a heart who's been touched still seeks out expensive jars of perfume to pour on the feet of Jesus. This is still the way it is, right? Second general principle is God's favor and blessing is on us and it proceeds from the cross, not from our own works. But we get a choice on how we administer His favor on our finances. Jesus said this, give, and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, God says, hey, hey, my favor's on you. Here's a a set of measuring cups. I'll take the thimble full. There you go. God says, bring the thimble, and then, there you go. Right? Favor of God's on you. But you and I get to manage that favor. This is the principle. That's what Jesus said. That's what Paul said. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. People think, I make this up. I I didn't make this up. And people go, I know you're, I know, I can see what you're doing. You're just telling people to sow generously so you can reap generously. Try telling that to a farmer. I know what you're doing, you sneaky thing. You're just planting these 10 acres because you're expecting a harvest. Yeah. Sneaky thing. Paul said, listen, if you sow sparingly, you set the size of the harvest. If you sow generously, you're setting the size of the harvest. Galatians 6, don't be deceived, you will reap what you sow. Well, I'd like to reap, Lord, let me reap what Greg sowed. No, you get to reap what you sow. And that comes in finances as well. Proverbs, the age old wisdom coming down the years. Honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits of all your crops, then your bonds. This is causal then your bonds will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Paul's advice and explanation on how things work in the New Testament is that God's favor is on you in Christ and he's given it into your hands to adjust the spigot over your own finances. Now, I've got to rush through this because I want to get to the real stuff here. What does the New Testament say about how we should give? Give willingly, and there's a bunch of scriptures that could prove it, Give generously, a bunch of scriptures. Give cheerfully, a bunch of scriptures. <laughs> Give systematically. Corinthians 16 says, on the first day of every week, he says, I told all the Galatian churches to do this, all seven of those churches. He's now speaking to Corinthians. He says, this is basically what I tell all the churches. On the first day of the week, put a little money aside. Do this systematically, right? Give proportionately, love this one, Second Corinthians 8, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. God's not asking you to give what you don't have, he's saying give proportionately. Love that piece. And then sometimes secretly, which is what Jesus said when you're giving to the needy. When you're giving to somebody who's really needy, do it secretly. Why? Because you're not trying to create an attachment to yourself. If you see a real need, somebody's in real need, do it secretly. Because then all they've got to say is, Lord, thank you, you saw me. And that's very cool. What does the New Testament say about where we should give? This is what I actually want to get to. Number one, to the local church. This is Corinthians 9, Paul talking to them. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't I have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brother and Cephas and Peter? Paul says, listen, we have a right to expect some food and provision from you and then you look after us and our wives. Because then he goes through a bunch of analogies. Who serves the soldier at his own expense? No, the soldier gets a salary. Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and doesn't drink the milk? It's written in the law of Moses. Don't muzzle the ox while it treads the grain. Why? Because if you keep that ox working for about three days, at the end of the third day, it's going to fall down dead. Because you muzzled it. You didn't have any, you got to eat. The beatings will continue till the morale improves. I know a good way we can save money. Let's cut all the pastor's salaries. Yeah, great, for about three days. Amen. (laughs) When the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we've sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much that we reap a material harvest from you? Don't you know that those who work in the temple, the Levites, get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar... Priests share in what is offered at the altar in the same way the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. It's fascinating to me, I do this all the time. I'm, uh, <clears throat> part, of, part of my other job is I, I raise funds for World Without Orphans, and uh, it's fascinating to me. You go to, go to people and they go, Oh, we what do you do that we want clean water delivered into the middle of the village? How much, how much for a, a gallon of clean water? I go, well, I have to build 300 miles of pipe and, and the refinery And No, no, I don't want to give to infrastructure. Don't tell me about the salaries. Just, just tell me what it's going to cost. I go, I, I can't tell you. Well, we're just wasting all this money on infrastructure. Well, I, I, I need to have at least a hose if you want me to deliver the clean water. Uh, th- this, during the summer, uh, one of the, the air conditioning units went out, and I walked in on Wednesday night, and it was hot. And I said to Tom, hey, what's going He goes, yeah, I tried it. The air con's just blown. So we quickly turned down the cool in the room next door, and we got fans blowing in, and people come in, and they're a little bit like, oh, this is not comfortable. And, the, you know, do you know the air? I go, yeah. We just found out. So we, we do the teaching, and now I know, hey, next Wednesday, we're back here. And so... Thursday morning, early, David Todd's up. They're seeing what he can do. No, can't. We call the people. They come in. They look. you go, yeah, you need a new unit. We're going to bring one in, and they get. but it's going to take longer than Wednesday. So next Wednesday, we crank down the cool, and we're blowing air back in, and some people come in, and they're a little bit like, it's a little bit like, I mean, you knew about this last Wednesday. Why don't you, uh, why don't you get on this? And I wanted to say, I needed the 15K that it cost me right like like I'm for it if it if it worked as easy as that i'd be i'd be like like let's do this thing yeah let's let's do it we give to apostolic ministry i'm running out of time we give for local needs we give to other churches and we give for travel and preaching the gospel we give to holy spirit prompting i'm rushing because you need Whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do is absolute wisdom, do that. We give for our families. The Bible says, take care of your own family because if you don't, you're worse than an unbeliever and we give to our testimonies. In other words, don't let your testimony be in the community that you don't pay your bills, you can't keep your word financially, that you're deadbeat and drop out. Don't do that. Now, I wanna get to this because this is my ask of you today. Many of you will know uh, that uh, a, a church runs, uh, you, you have a, 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 a fund, a reserve fund that you keep because some months uh, there's more expenses and uh, air conditioning units go out and things like that. And so you dip into the fund that you have and you, you keep a reserve fund and life is easy. Uh, what I've noticed, and uh, in, in churches all around the country are, f- are feeling this, With the, the there is an increase in, um, like you're all feeling the same increase in, in the inflation rate and some of the expenses, that's going up. Uh, slightly less people coming to the church. That's not the case in our church because we, we grew over the summer. Praise God. And, but uh, as a general rule, people are giving less to the church. And uh, there's been a slowdown in income. Now, the, you can see that if the income slows down and the price goes up, you just start to burn into your reserves. And I, I've been watching this, tracking this over a few years. And I've said, you know what would be nice is that we need to build back up our reserve. Because we're getting, we're still in a healthy place as a church. Uh, You get get unhealthy, somebody's sick. You get healthy, you get fit, and then you get a model. And I think God's called us to be a model church. He certainly said a number of times, you're going to be a resource church. And from what I'm experiencing, a lot of the pastors are calling and going, what are you doing? What can we do? And I'm explaining to them a lot of what we're about. So we, obviously, we did the obvious thing. We pulled the staff in. uh, We cut budgets quite drastically. And our staff just did, I'm just so proud of them. They just did it with pure joy, cut back radically on all the budgets, and they've stuck to those budgets. So I'm I'm thrilled. I'm I'm chuffed with the staff. Well done. We have to address the other thing of, of the slowing down income. And that's what I want to talk to you about. We need to address the flagging income. And what I really need to do is, I, I'd like to raise $250,000 over the next year. Because all that's gonna do is gonna go back, it's gonna re-inflate to a, a healthy margin, even to a model margin, the, the fund that we need. If, if we don't do that and the trend continues, a little while down the road, we'd be in trouble. So I thought I'd br- bring it to you now and say, hey, we need your help. The truth is, some people <clears throat> are able to give. And some people have been really struggling. And some people have perhaps felt the financial squeeze and you thought to yourself, "Well, the church is fine. They don't need my money. I'll give elsewhere. And uh, can I ask you to consider cutting back somewhere else and being faithful with your giving to the church? Now, this is my dream. This is my dream. I actually don't want somebody to walk in and drop $250,000 on the church. My dream is that we do it together. My dream is that every member family of the church, everyone who's part of this church, everybody gets fed here, everybody who finds life here, that you participate with us in increasing what God's been doing. And I worked it out. It's just a little over $100 a month. If everybody for the next year just added another $100 to what you've been giving, we're there. Isn't that astounding? Some of you can give more than that. And I'm asking you to do that. The truth is, some people haven't been given anything. And if you haven't been giving anything, I just want to say without bias, uh, that's not good for you spiritually. That's not a healthy place for you to be. You ought to be giving. So I'm asking you uh, to pray, to go to the Lord. If you're, if you're a family, go to the Lord. If you're a single person, obviously go to the Lord alone and say, What would you suggest I do, Lord? talk it over, come to a decision, and then commit for the next year and give cheerfully, all right? Because this is my dream. We can do this. In fact, this is so easy for us. If we pull together, this is not, I'm not even stressed about this. This doesn't even require faith. This is just, if we pull together, we've got this easily, comfortably. Because I believe that the God who sees has already gone ahead to make provision for us and this is our opportunity to pull together and see this thing established. Please don't let somebody else take your place in giving. Don't, as a habit, let somebody else pay for your meal. If you're fed here, join us. So I'm asking. I'm asking. More than the amount, I'm asking that everybody make an effort. Everybody. Who names, the, who names the, their, their home. Join us and give a little more. See, what's gonna happen? Are the salaries all gonna go? No, nothing's gonna change. What is gonna happen is you're gonna help us solidify a foundation here because here's the truth. There are some dreams. There are some opportunities in our city. There were maybe some other plants. Where people are saying, could you please come start a church here? Could you please come start a church here? There are some other opportunities for us. We just had, we just had a, a, almost a doubling in the amount of people who are watching Northland's content in prison. We had almost 50,000 people viewing our content in the last three months in prison. <laughs> Praise God. And, and, and a number of people are getting saved. Praise God but it does cost us a little bit of money, right? So I'm saying that the more of a foundation we can set and the more stable that is, if we can create a model here, we not only can launch into with confidence into all that the Lord is calling us to, but we can begin to help some other churches and that's the dream. So give willingly, give generously, give cheerfully, give systematically, give proportionately, and sometimes give secretly. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd help us all and each one to hear your heart. Lord, this is such an easy thing for you. This is such a profound blessing. And I pray, Lord, that every person who cheerfully gives, I pray that, that Paul's, Lord, confidence statement would be their truth. What you have given is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, and now my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches in glory. And I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now I'm gonna invite these couples to come up and just share with you some of the things that are on their hearts, and I'm so looking forward to this time uh, because I just really appreciate their heart towards us.
1: Guys, there's not much more fun, not much more fun things I can say about you than that kind of said at all. Um, but we're so thankful that you're here to share with us um, just about giving and why it matters here and why we love it so much. So I'm going to go ahead and start with Stephen and Beth, the Templetons. Um, you guys have been members with us for uh, 23 years, around there. Um, we're so we're so blessed to have you guys and have such a fun history with you. But I wanted to start with you guys because. When you started coming to our church, we were maybe 40 people um, or less, if that, uh, meeting in a hotel. Northlands was not always what it is today. And yet you decided to bring, you had younger kids, you you came as a family, and you decided to start giving. And I just want to ask you about what is it that led your hearts to plant yourselves in our church and become giving members of a small, maybe not super fancy body
2: of Christ yeah well thank you it's it's, it's a privilege to share uh first it, it, the church wasn't what we were looking for at all because we had uh three uh, children and we were looking for a children's ministry and to plug them in but uh as Greg said being led by the Holy Spirit uh is is where you want to be and and that's where he 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 he, he led us both here and the giving, I have to, I am so thankful, when we were going through premarital counseling, uh, our pastor at the time spent one session about, about finances. And he gave us the most simple advice that has really been life-changing uh, and life-giving for us. And that is this uh, concept that I now know, I didn't know at the time, of first fruits giving. And basically, he said, listen, it's simple. What you do, first of each month, the first check that you write, you write to the Lord. It's as an offering to the Lord. And at the time, I was a student. Beth was a middle school teacher uh, in in a small school. I mean, we were, you know, just barely getting by if. Um, But still, it was, so it wasn't the amount it was the heart, and it was the offering, and by doing that on a regular basis, it set a pattern and a habit in our lives, and changed us to where this is this is for you, Lord, uh, and that simple, very, you know, very simple advice really kind of uh, shaped our lives in giving.
1: How would you encourage other people? I think maybe people who are in the seasons of life with young kids, crazy schedules. I mean, life is just so full. How would you encourage others to see the importance of giving to the local church as a family?
3: You know, I think um, I think it's all about being intentional and about making decisions. And I'd rather... You know, it, life happens sometimes. Life happens to you, but I'd rather happen to life. You know, I'd rather be like making the decisions that will shape me and will shape our family. And it does shape you. The, this this des- decision to sow into a local church creates a form, um, especially over years. And I just don't think—I I don't see being in eternity with the Lord looking back and regretting that. Yeah. Yeah. I really— um, I just think even, and I think it's helpful to have a distinction between, um, between giving to God and giving to the church. And I will say that giving to Northlands, I, I don't need to go to eternity to tell you I don't regret that. that. You know, I'm here now to tell you what a wonderful good soil this is um, to give to. But, you know, when you give to the Lord, if an offense comes or a disappointment comes things don't go your way we're not going to get there at the end of our lives or with him and say wow i wish i hadn't given that to you lord you know so i I, that to me is like a fuel and i want to be formed by the decisions i make you know that i that i that we as a family you know have honor um and i believe that has formed us so i'm thankful to the lord for northlands for helping us with that
1: i'd love to ask you guys um can you, do you have a testimony in mind of a time that you felt the Lord prompted you to give um, and where you just saw the Lord bless that and honor that for your family and for the body?
2: Well, you know, one was earlier on, and um, um, it was at the time when we were building this, you know, we were doing something with the building or buying it or expanding it, and um, we had set aside some funds— to kind of remodel our house. And and we bought this house and it was had like this mustard yellow paint everywhere and it was just horrible. And we you know it was like when can we paint this and, and do all this? And but something came up and Beth and I prayed and we said, you know what? We can we can wait. And so so we offered that to the Lord and it just you know it, it was something that that helped the, the church and and that more than that, it did something in our hearts. Yeah. You know, I think when you give, it, it does almost more in your hearts because it it clarifies what you really value. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's important, and uh, there, we can speak words, and you know, a lot, words are cheap, but but it's really what you give. I think really clarifies that for and it clarifies that for us.
1: Amen. Thank you guys so much for sharing. Um, I want to turn to the Murray, Stephen and Brittany. Hey, guys, thanks for being with us today. Um, I want to start with Brittany and just ask you kind of the same question. What made you decide to make Northlands your church home?
4: So we um, started in high school, really, the ends of high school and into college, um, being involved at a church, not super local, but we had the time and space to make the drive and do all the things downtown, and we um, we loved it. We loved this church. We did all the things at this church. Then um, we got pregnant really fast and early into our marriage, and we started to notice, which is really kind of hilarious because uh, I was 20, and we were attending the church where I was like the oldest person in the room by years, um, and <laughs> realized that um, with a newborn baby and with the distance we were traveling, we we really needed to make a shift geographically in the church we were attending, which was really tough for us because that church was, like, it was wonderful. And it was home for us. And um, I had no desire to leave that church, but we really felt like the Lord was asking us to step away into a church a, a little more hyper-local to, uh, to be better resources or stewards of our time, really. So... We kind of left kicking and screaming um, and said to the Lord, would you give us a church that just a little more geographically convenient to our lives? And um, would you show us where that is? And we, we put it in Google Maps and kind of gave our perimeter of how far we were willing to travel. And so we visited all the local churches around. And um, every single time I, I was like, Lord, I want to go home. Like, I want to go to my home. Um, and so it took us a while. Then we found Northlands. Um, and we loved it, but it still wasn't, like, it just wasn't quite our home yet. Um, and so I really asked the Lord to, to um, replace that feeling of home with, with a church that we needed to be at. And he certainly did that. And um, Northlands is home for us, and we're so proud of this home Um, And we can't
1: imagine somewhere
4: more beautiful for us to be.
1: But
3: here
4: we are.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Um, Something that uh, Greg referenced in his sermon today and something that we've been seeing, um, according to the Giving USA report as of um, last summer, we were seeing the percent of giving uh, according to the GDP be in steady decline. And something that we're seeing in the younger generation certainly is this um, Philanthro capitalism, where I can buy a pair of toms and then that gives another pair to a child in need somewhere else, and but I still get what I want, you know? Um, and a lot of times that can feel like we're replacing our giving charitably with I just still get what I want and I can still be generous, you know, out there. Um, but I want to ask you guys, because I know that you've had some relationships and you've given to other you know, parachurch ministries and missionaries and all that stuff. That's, that's also awesome. Can you talk more about how you guys came to a decision to really hone in your giving at the local base, at the local church, um, over and above also giving to other things, but why is this matter? Why is this important?
5: Yeah. um, We don't have a lot of Toms in our closet, but (laughs) we did, uh, our personal balance sheet was, pretty complicated uh, through our early 20s up until our late 20s because of, like what you said, there's just so many opportunities. When you weren't super plugged in at a local church, you had friends, and when we grew up um, in Christian homes, and so we grew up with friends that were Christians, and we, we used to always joke, we'd get random texts in our 20s from friends that we haven't connected with, and we would, we'd always call it like the random three, maybe not so holy trinity of the random three, but the, um, the first was multi-level marketing, we had a friend that was trying to sell us something multi-level marketing. Uh, health insurance was another one that we had people trying to sell us, like friends that we hadn't connected with. And then the third, which was holy, I would say, was, um, no offense to the other two, but was somebody that was going into the mission field or joining a nonprofit. Uh, and so we, we were just attempting to be generous there. And then when we got really plugged in at Northlands, we felt the Lord prompting giving local And uh, we had to make some hard decisions. We definitely felt the Lord nudging us to be more generous um, and to open up and and to save some money so that we could give to Northlands. Um, But we also, it meant saying no or saying uh, not as much to other nonprofits that we were giving to. And those were hard choices, but we felt like the Lord was was calling us again to local. And and these were people that I maybe hadn't even talked to besides uh, a newsletter or a call once a year um, in five, six, seven years. So uh, we, we made that shift. And another shift for us that was important in our 20s, and um, maybe some of you feel this way, but uh, we, we would feel like we had to have it all together in order to give. And a little bit of an analogy that's similar is my brother David and I used to coach this, this CrossFit class at the YMCA, um, and we would invite people. And the most common excuse we get from people is, yeah, yeah, we're gonna come, but we need to get in shape first before we come to the CrossFit class. And I would be like, well, the reason why you come to the CrossFit class is to get into shape. And I felt like for us with our finances, we, we had some, some of that maybe guilt or shame around we wish we were in a better place, and maybe in the next year, or maybe if that bonus comes, or maybe if we save some money in this area, which would take time, then we would start to give. And, and that's not advice to say be reckless by any means, but I think, like Greg spoke to, every little bit matters and can really unlock some things in your heart and your walk with Jesus. And that was, uh, you know, a conviction that we felt of saying, all right, we don't have to have it all together. We can just start taking baby steps in, in that direction.
1: Awesome. Um, just to close as well, can you guys share a testimony? Just a time where you felt like the Lord called you to give and it blessed someone or it just kind of came out how much his hand was in that, that moment.
5: you sure? She's way more intelligent and better looking than me, so I give her the opportunity first. Um, yeah, you know, right now we're working with our kids on this, and uh, at the end of the year, we, you know, they have an allowance each week, and um, so this isn't super specific, but there's a lot of, like, multi multiple testimonies in this, but we've been just in the season of, with their allowance, forcing them to uh, save a little bit and to give a little bit, but to save what they're giving, and then at the end of the year, around Christmas... Um, typically they can each have a couple hundred dollars that they can give. And so uh, being intentional in where they give and what's on their heart and uh, their first instinct sometimes we think is really silly of what they want to give to. Um, but then in kind of continual conversations, we've just seen some families blessed by our kids' generosity, um, some other, some other you know, organizations and nonprofits that's on their heart that we had no idea uh, and hearing them talk about kind of what, what lightens up them and, and what they get excited about. And you get to learn a little bit more about your children. So that's something more more specific or, you know, less specific, but a principle that we're trying to put in place with our, with our children.
1: That's awesome. Thank you, guys. We so appreciate your time and your faithfulness um, as givers and as leaders, um, as people that share the gospel of grace and love with our people but our church just depends on you. And we're so thankful that you shared your time and your wisdom with us this morning. We just want to encourage everyone again. This is an opportunity to give toward our house, to give toward the Lord with generous hearts and with joy. And we're so thankful that this is a home for, for so many of us. And we love you. And we're so thankful that the Lord is among us to reap a harvest of grace and love. So thank you, guys. Would you just give them a round of applause? Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us today. If this is your first time, of course, we want to welcome you and say thank you for being with us. We'd love to meet you out in the lobby. Coffee is on us. We'd love to hear more about your story. So definitely uh, flag me down. Um, Anyone you saw up on stage today, we'd love to meet you and and hear more about you. Journey group signups our next week. So we're so excited about that. If you have been part of a journey group before, you know this is a really fun Sunday for us. If you have not, come ready and excited. It's gonna be really fun. So we're gonna have all of the lists of journey groups that are available this fall up next Sunday, so don't miss it. And then uh, as we mentioned today many times, if you would like to begin your journey of giving toward the local church, you can do that in our Give More Fund. And you can find that on the QR codes on the back of your seat. Or in the front, if you're or on the armrest, if you're in the front row, just scan that. That information and any other information that we've shared today is available there for you at any time. And then, lastly, our ministry team every week is so faithful to pray and ask the Lord what He wants to do among us this Sunday. And those words will come up on the screen, so you can find those right here. And our ministry team will be up front, so you can receive ministry as you leave today. Again, we love y'all, we bless you, and we will see you next week.